Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Still pretty quiet on the Chiefs front this week as we inch ever closer to the NFL draft. We'll kick things off today with the latest episode of Veach Season. They discussed all of the Chiefs reported top 30 visits ahead of the NFL draft. After that, it's the AP Editor's Show. They've got all the news and notes that you need to know about the Kansas City Chiefs. After that, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we get back, we'll catch up with Chiefs Stock Watch. Price Carter and Caleb James sat down to discuss the Chiefs' current roster stock ahead of the NFL draft before they try to address some of the holes in the upcoming draft class. After that, we'll wrap things up with the latest edition of the AP Draft Room and our very own Ron Kopp sat down with NFL draft analyst and writer for The Ringer, Benjamin Sola. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. We're going to talk a little bit. The Chiefs have had some top 30 visits um, over the last couple of weeks, brought some players in. For those of you who don't know, every single offseason, the Chiefs get to have 30 players in that they have into the facility on kind of an extended visit where they can show them game film, work them out a little bit, um, kind of talk to them. A lot of times you'll see uh, some of these guys are guys that either have medical red flags or personal contact red flags. Uh, Travis Kelsey for instance, had a lot of top 30 visits coming out of college because he had a huge red flag because he missed a year for um, smoking weed and getting kicked off the team. Um, and he has a funny story about how he grew up, you know, idolizing Ozzy Newsome because uh, he he's a, he's a, he's a Cleveland boy. And Baltimore brought him in on a top 30 visit. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm going to go meet Ozzy Newsome. I got, I got him, uh, I got his autograph poster on my wall. Everything's great. And he walks in the room. And Isaac Newsom just looks at him and says, sit down. And he sits down. And he immediately plays seven clips in a row of personal fouls that he got in college <laughs> in a row. And he just looks at Travis Kelsey and goes, son, are you an a-hole? <laughs> and Kelsey was like, the, the, the top 30 visit was basically over right after that. So a lot of these guys that come in on the top 30 visits, it's because the Chiefs want to kind of find out, like, is this dude going to be a good culture fit for us? Or, you know, or sometimes it's they want to see if, you know, if he knows ball or not. Um, and so some of the names that we've had so far that have come through are Pitt defensive lineman Deslin Alexander, West Kentucky defensive lineman Broderick Martin, which is inter- interesting because the Chiefs also met with him at the Combine. Um, Stephen F. Austin, Edge, B.J. Thompson, Harvard linebacker Truman Jones, Iowa State Edge, Will McDonald, who a lot of people are mocking to the Chiefs at 30. At 31, uh, Jarek Reed, safety out of New Mexico. Darnell Wright, offensive tackle out of Tennessee, who our boy Caleb James just wrote up about this past week over at Arrowhead Pride. Check out that article because it is bomb and it is so insightful. Um, South Carolina standout 
standout blue chip cornerback Cam Smith, uh, Western Kentucky Khalif Hilasi. Um, don't know a lot about him, but apparently we had a scout that really likes Western Kentucky boys this year. And then, of course, uh, SMU wide receiver Rashi Rice. Uh, Maurice, looking at these names, any of these guys st- stand out to you that that you're excited about the, that the Chiefs brought in to talk to? Man, I, w- I was looking at some. I like um, Trevor Reed's kind of like not high on a lot of boards, but I mean, I, I I would say I look more towards the later rounds when the Chiefs might go their route. But I don't, I don't, I like him because he's he like stout against the run. Like he'll be a good a good offensive tackle for the run aspects of things. I don't know how much he'll do in pass, but he definitely jumps off to me. Um, Roger Martin, I think, is to be like a good run stopper for like for the Chiefs if the Chiefs was to go that route. Um, I feel like we struggled in the middle a little bit from a defensive tackle standpoint against the run. So I feel like if the Chiefs wanted to go that route, I, that kind of jumped all to me. I like having that visit in. I think some of these visits, like, it's like a lot of lower round guys that they want to see, like, what they know um, and see if everything lines up with the field. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on Trevor Reed, man. The guy is so interesting because, you know, he gave up only 13 pressures this past year but three of them ended up in sacks unfortunately but you look at his at his uh his measurables and he's 6'5 297 34.4 inch uh, sorry 34 and a half inch arms nine and two eighth inch hands his span is 84 and two eighth inch inches he ran the 40 a 4940 and the dude is 300 pounds and has a 38 inch vertical like i don't know right. any offensive lineman that got a 38 inch vertical so like even if he's just like a swing tackle that you want to bring in a mold, like, right. like dang man, that, that that there's something to him there. I think. What do you think, Price? Well, you know these picks, they're these visits, they're a little unique. Sometimes they might not truly have any interest in the player, and it might be strategic to try to like make teams think that they're interested in this player or this position. One thing that I do like here is I I like their approach in the sense of. They're bringing in some top guys and they're bringing in some, you know, guys that they might be competing in the undrafted free agent market or in those later rounds. Because, you know, once we get to day three, a lot of those guys, you're you're drafting players that you might not want to compete on the undrafted free agent market because some of those guys end up making more money than actual draft picks. So there's a bit of a bidding war that goes on. One thing that I really like here, too, is the Chiefs are being smart about the secondary, you know, they, a lot of people kind of flared up when they talked about bringing in Cam Smith. Great player. If Cam Smith is on the board at pick 31, you really got to think about it. And it's reasonable to think that a good corner is going to fall in this draft because the market is really saturated. This is a strong corner draft. There's also a lot of QB needy teams. And then the teams are going to over-prioritize other key positions, such as offensive tackle, pass rusher, wide receiver. So we could kind of have the whole Trent McDuffie scenario again. And, I know everyone's screaming Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams. Corner play is extremely volatile. One of those guys could just be like awful this year. One of those guys could get hurt. You cannot have too many corners. And then, oh, by the way, let's say they do somehow get Cam Smith and he's really good. That gives you the ability to move on from Legereus Sneed if that's something you choose. Or you can keep Legereus Sneed. Same with uh, the safeties. Like I, I generally think that the safety uh, safety's pretty set after they uh, signed Deion Bush this uh, last weekend. But I, I just keep rolling the dice there at those positions and get value because the Chiefs have shown such a propensity to find value in the later rounds with those players. So whether it's at pick 31 and they get like a true blue chip, kind of like Trent McDuffie, or if they go down to the later rounds, 
keep rolling the dice with that position because that depth pays off. Like, look at what the Eagles have done with their offensive line. They always invest so heavily in it. They go draft Cam Jurgens after they have Landon Dickerson. And Jason Kelsey didn't end up retiring, but if he did, they had a player ready to go in there, right? And, like, if Jurgens steps in and takes over for the guard who went to the Steelers, they're they're still up and ready to go. Or they're at pick 10. They can pick Skaronsky and plug him in and then kick him out for Lane Johnson or whatever. So, you know, they just keep building depth in those places that you can never have enough depth. Well, and the whole thing I think with um, Ken Smith and a guy like that too is like with our seventh round, with our seventh round cornerbacks from last year with Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson. Yeah, they were great, but now there's an entire season of tape on them that that you know guys like Devontae Adams are watching, and they might say, okay, well this guy goes to Jamie at the line of scrimmage, and maybe he shifts a little bit too much on his on his inside shoulder, so I can release I can release outside on him. Right. You know, or maybe this guy bites on the double move and maybe there wasn't time in the season with all the implementations and just the speed of the regular season for the for uh, for opposing wide receivers and head coaches and offensive coordinators to look at that. And then maybe now they expose that, you know, there's sophomore slumps for a reason in the NFL. So Maurice, cornerback, blue chip, late round guys like are you are you interested? You think the Chiefs need to keep on taking swings in the secondary? What, what's what's your opinion on that? I think I mean you can never get a um have enough good corners. And and I, I agree with Price. Like when when you when you look at Watson and Williams, they had some great season, but sophomore slumps can happen. They are there is no fourth and seven round picks for a reason. So while you hope they, they can sustain that that type of play, um if a if a top guy sitting there at 31, I say you go for it. Cause then you got you 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 solidify on, on some couple of lockdown corners for a few years. If you choose to keep luxuries and use his versatility, you can, but you can also let him go and have four corners basically on rookie contracts. Can't you can't you can't beat that either, right? So I I don't think I don't think they should be done at corner or safety, really. Uh, I think they should keep investing in some young, some young talent there and keep keep it moving. I agree with you a hundred percent there. And I think kind of the equivalency of cornerbacks in in the NFL. And baseball would be relief pitchers, right? Like they say, you can never have enough enough relief pitchers, right? Enough arms coming out of the bullpen. Then you can never have enough quality guys in the back end because it's a passing league, right? And your front four is if you're if you're counting on your front four to get home every single time, then you're gonna then then and and your secondary can't cover guys, then then you're gonna end up giving a lot of big plays up. Um, all right, so look at this list. Uh, Price, anybody else on the uh, top thirty visits that stand out to you? Well, we did highlight Broderick Martin, Eric Galco, who is uh, one of the heads of the East West Shrine Bowl. He described Broderick Martin as like 85% of Jordan Davis as far as a run stopper. And the cost is going to be like 10 to 15% of Jordan Davis as far as where he's going to be selected. So that's a really exciting name. Love hearing that. Um, Darnell Wright has the potential to be like the best tackle in this class. It just happens to be he's probably going to stay on the right side. Rasheed Rice was interesting. Um, I, I wrote up his visit for us on Airhead Pride. And it's interesting to see the reaction about him as a player. It, it feels like people are very split on him. I think there's a lot of reasons. And I truly, I wrote, like, Rasheed Rice is just a player who just really embodies this wide receiver class as a whole. There's reasons to buy in and get excited. And then there's reasons to kind of, like, pull back and have some caution. Um, with him, it's some of it's been the drops and then some of it's been just kind of like the advanced route tree and then straight line speed. He's not kind of a true vertical threat, but contested catches. He makes otherworldly catches. And then at times his run after the catch is elite. 
And then you do have a little bit of level of competition concerns with SMU, but also SMU has generated some really good wide receivers in the NFL. Emmanuel Sanders, um, Cole Beasley, they're both, you know, have had real success in the league. So yeah, I could see Rasheed Rice really playing a role here in round two, round three. That's a, that's a time that would make some sense. So maybe the Chiefs have something cooking there. So uh, you go for him. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about Rasheed Rice? Is his lack of separation a concern to you at all, Maurice? That the fact that he makes so many contested catches that that is because he doesn't have any separation. If it wasn't Andy Reid's offense, I would be more concerned. I think Andy Reid does such a good job of being able to scheme people open and, and get them open that I think his like his run after catchability and make it where Andy will find a way to to get him open, but. Lack of separation ain't a big deal if you're gonna make the contested catches. That's how I look at it. Like if you can go, if you're a guy that can make the contested catches, so be it. It only matters if you can't win. If you can't win the contested catches, in my opinion, separation is relevant, right? Like it's like like separation only matters as much as as what you need to make the catch. Right. If you can make the catch with them all over you, hey, let's, you still find success. So I'm gonna rock with you. So uh, speaking of contested catch, right, really quick, I was uh I was writing up At Perry for the site. Um, this past weekend, and the, the, there's one. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest about my boy At Perry. If there's one part of his game that needs work, it's the contested catch. He only catches about forty percent of contested catches, and it's, a lot of that I think has to do with the fact that he only has a thirty-five inch vertical, and a lot of contested catches are jump balls. Um, while trying to find comparisons to that, I looked. I was looking at Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson's 2019 contested catch rates. Jamar Jefferson's was uh, 50.4%, which is significantly better than the 40% that A.T. Perry put up. But do you know what Justin Jefferson's contested catch rate was in 2019? 92.4%. Homeboy caught 12 out of 13 contested balls in the <laughs> for LSU in their championship season. That dude is otherworldly, just like alien, like – Oh my God. Like, like, I, like that's like, how did they draft Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson? I would have seen that one stat and I would have taken it as the first wide receiver in the draft right there. It's insane. Um, I think I anyway. think one thing too, to look at with those players is the offense and what they're asked to do. AT Paris Perry from Wake Forest, like the offensive scheme compared to LSU or, you know, we're talking about Rasheed Rice, like these offenses ask different things of players. Uh, Wake Forest is really heavy on the mesh. And, and that can be tough to make evaluations on. Um, so different schools ask different things of their players, and it kind of puts them in a different place. That's why, you know, some schools get reputations as ha- developing wide receivers really well. Like Ohio State, they run a pretty similar pro offense. So that's why they've had so much success. And same with Alabama. Now, obviously, you could say, like, hey, those are really good schools, so they have five-star recruits. So that's true, too. But as far as, like, route runners and stuff, they, they ask for a little bit more of their players. So it, it can make it tough for sure. John, as is the case in the Apple iTunes reviews, not a, a ton going on right now mm-hmm. with the Kansas City Chiefs. As we get into our news roundup right now, the top story, in my opinion, of the week is that the Chiefs are returning to St. Joseph. So if this is the top story that we're talking about, you know, it's a slow time in what they like to call the Chiefs kingdom. Yeah, I think it's OK, though. I like going to St. Joe. I think the fans like going to St. Joe. Uh, I went to River Falls once, and it was it was great fun. River Falls is a cool place, but um, but St. Joe is more convenient for Chiefs fans, and I think it's good that they're going back. 
I think it's interesting here that Andy Reid just continues to dig his heels into what has been a two decades plus now long tradition of having the team go away to a college and have that month of bonding where for the most part, they're away from their families away from, you know, some of the younger players are away from some of the distractions that come with being a a very popular NFL uh, player in in your given city. And Reed believes that at the end of this, the team is closer and who's to argue with the results. I mean, this is a program that has been to the playoffs nine of 10 times, which you know, I know we talk about the two Super Bowls, but that to me almost is the most fascinating part of Andy Reid and, and what he's able to do is just get into the postseason. I think sometimes in KC, we take that a little bit for granted. Now he has a, an ultimate advantage of Patrick Mahomes, but he orchestrated that, right? So he deserves that in the sense of having Brett Veach here and Veach in the, the personnel roster and, and getting Mahomes to Kansas City. I'm getting off the beaten path already, so let's get back to St. Joe. I like the fact that it's in St. Joe. I don't like driving, John, to St. Joe back and mm-hmm. forth every day, yeah. but I, I I do understand why they do it. And this is now, I believe, the third extension in a row for Missouri West. So the Chiefs like it up there. They like what uh, the campus is able to provide for them. And so they will now be there, John, officially until 2024 when I imagine they'll address a possible extension again. Oh, they'll be through 2024, right? Isn't it two years? Yeah. Isn't it the extension for two years? Okay, so mm-hmm. t- until 2025. But then yeah. again, you know, we may get another extension. Uh, I think they like I think they like uh, leaving us in suspense and having a barrel they can hold the Missouri well, Western people over. <laughs> that's what it is. Stuff. I, yeah. I think, <laughs> and I, I don't think this, I know, I know I saw a player smash their helmet into a garage mm-hmm. glass window and be concussed and then eventually cut. I imagine like that is a perfect example of, you know, maybe as you're saying two years from now, that could be like Missouri West. We need a, a bigger indoor facility or something mm-hmm. to the extent. Yeah. So it makes sense from a negotiating uh, standpoint, but I, I can't see this changing anytime soon. Unless the league were to come in and say that every team has to have it in their home city, we have seen less and less teams do this over the years. I, I believe the last time I looked into this, John, it was under 10 teams that are traveling mm-hmm. away. Most of yeah. them have it just at their own facility at this stage. Yeah. Not too many anymore. It, I mean, it used to be the thing. It used to be what everybody did. And you, you'd have a lot of teams doing joint practices with other teams that were you know, at a, at another college that was 30 miles away. Uh, they, the chiefs did that the year I was in river falls, uh, had a joint practice with the Minnesota Vikings. I believe it was, uh, but it's just, it's just not the same as it was in those days. And, and Andy Reed is definitely digging in his heels on it, but, um, who am I to argue with success? Cause it certainly has seemed to work out for him and his team. Yeah. I think we forget that these guys sometimes, you know, I think we forget the aspect that they're human as well. And mm-hmm. especially this year, right? How many chiefs left Kansas city? And this is going to mm-hmm. be, they won the title, but this is going to be a very different looking team. So you go up there a month. It's something that all the players make fun of the fact that you're in a dorm. It's not too comfortable. It's annoying to wake up early. They have meetings all day, but they're reading all day, but they're going through it together. And I, I think that's the, the key here. I don't know if Missouri West is locked in, but, so long as the NFL allows Andy Reid to do this, and he is the coach of the Chiefs, 
no, no guarantees that it's always Missouri West, but I, I could almost guarantee you that if he's allowed, he is going to travel for camp. So, yeah. again, this is just an extension uh, of that. John, we're coming off of WrestleMania weekend, and we had the ultimate NFL handicap match in Kansas City with Clark Hunt and Roger Goodell going <laughs> against Patrick Mahomes based on social media takes when it comes to Thursday night football. All right, let's start this at the beginning of what ha- has been happening here. The NFL owner meetings happened last week, and among the things talked about, we mentioned all the rule changes last week, were was Thursday night football. Here's the problem with with Thursday night football right now. Amazon Prime, Amazon and and its prime product, right? They paid about a billion dollars a year for the Mm -hmm. NFL. So that is a long deal. You could tell that because of declined ratings. And I think part of that has to do with, well, you went from Fox, which is on TV that everybody has to Amazon Prime, which you're going to have declined there, I think, initially, because folks are just not going to do it. There are some folks out there that sure. say, what, it's on Amazon. We're not, I'm not streaming this. I'm not paying extra for this. So, but, the, but the numbers were especially bad in, in the decline, 46% from the year before. And Al Michaels was involved with this and, and he was saying, well, a lot of it is matchups and you know, folks weren't even tuning in at all in some of the later weeks in the year because all of them are pre-planned. And when they're pre-planned, you're going to get some stinkers and, Thursday night football happened to have a lot of stakers down down the stretch. So the NFL at these owner meetings and says, you know, we have to find a way to make this better. There was back and forth. We know that John Mara of the New York Giants was very much against the idea of flexing Thursday night football, noting that we have to take care of our fans. What what ended up passing uh, and, and this came to, to public light last week was the idea that Thursday night football can happen to a team twice in one season. Patrick Mahomes, the face of the league, the face of Kansas City, the most popular person in Kansas City, hits the NFL with a face palm emoji, which, <laughs> you know, he's a man of few, few words, no words at all, actually, in this case, but you get the message there. And then Justin Reed, this is worth noting, and Marquez Valdez-Gantling weigh in in different ways in, in support of Mahomes. As we, we go further in this, we find out that 22 of the 32 owners voted yes to flexing Thursday night football. So forget about having to know you're doing this twice, but the idea that not only can you do this more than once, but you could find out two weeks in advance. We'll see if it ends up being four weeks in advance. Hey, you're going to be playing on short rest and you're going to be doing it. And this is going to be a change nightmare. I think from a pre- preparation standpoint, especially if you're the, the team that is traveling that week, Nightmare when it comes to logistics as far as getting to the certain city that you have booked for the weekend. And now suddenly you need hotel rooms on on Wednesday, Thursday. And of course, it's a a nightmare for health and safety. We've known that Thursday night football games are a little bit more unsafe because there's not enough of a recuperation period. Right. Right. These are players who have said to me in the past in, in covering players. Hey, uh, when when we get done with this game, it's like getting hit in, in a in a car accident. It's like getting into a car accident where your your body is just aching everywhere. And suddenly, you know, you're playing what three or four days later, uh, sometimes even even shorter than that. If you're the Sunday night game or, or you happen to be uh, in a particular scenario where we've seen changes in the, in the past in the NFL. And so what ends up happening here is not only did Clark and 28 other owners vote for more than once a season, but Clark was one of the 22 owners 
uh, that voted yes when it came to flexing Thursday night football. So you can only assume that if Patrick Mahomes, Marquez, Valdez-Gantling, and Justin Reed don't like more than one, they certainly don't like the idea of flexing, and Clark Hunt leaned in. The problem here is that you need 24 votes, again, they got 22, for it to become a rule. So they have not taken this off the table. This is on the table now, John, for what will be May. Mm-hmm. And and Hunt, for what it's worth, voted, we, we can assume, before Mahomes and, and his feelings came out on this. And, mm-hmm. and it seems like they're on other sides of the table. You could see, as I explained, where this is good for business. That's probably the Hunt side, the, the Goodell side. And then you could see the, the player part of it where, A, it's unsafe, and B, is, is the quality that good? Is it fair to the play, players? Is it fair to the fans? Uh, John, what is your take on all of, of this coming out of the owner meetings in, in Kansas City? Well, you haven't even mentioned the part that's the biggest deal to most fans, I think, which is that if you plan to go to a game that gets flexed, uh, some fans have already had the this experience that right. they that they uh, you know make plans to travel to Mexico City, for example. This was a great example of how things can go wrong. Uh, that Mexico City game, which was moved to Los Angeles because the field was messed up on very short notice, and um, you know people had made essentially vacation plans to go to this game and then couldn't you know very selfish by Shakira. I, yeah, I maintain yeah, that right. to this day. Yeah. Yes. And so we're talking about doing something similar now, but on two weeks notice, which is not very much notice. If you've made hotel reservations and taken off work and got your kids out of school to go to a particular weekend or whatever, it's very inconvenient, uh, almost impossibly inconvenient uh, for fans to change from a Sunday game to a Thursday game, you know, Sunday to Monday, not quite as hard. Sunday to Thursday, that's a big deal. But I, I I'll just say here, and I and I and while I I feel with the fans who've had to put up with this, I I get it. I totally get it. I've been a season season ticket holder myself uh, at Arrowhead, not for a very long time, but I've done that, and I understand, you know, all, what's what's at stake there. I really do. But the fact of the matter is, is the NFL is a television organism, and it has been for a long time now. Most of the viewership is on television. And whether we like it or not, this is the this is the lens through which the upper the upper branches of the ownership look at the league is is how it plays on TV. And um, and on that basis, it's going to be hard to get them to care much about inconveniencing fans. I know that's bad. I I, I know there's fans listening right now who are going, what a jerk for saying such a thing. But it's a fact that the NFL is a television business. I think this is where I land on. I think which 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 John, as you know, is is correct. I think that (laughs) multiple Thursday night football games is understandable. I think you should cap it at at two. And yeah. the schedule makers should try to do everything in their power to make it easier. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. On teams. Mm-hmm. Like if they're, I'll give you an example. If they're on the road the previous Sunday, they shouldn't have to play Thursday night football. Agreed. You should be taking yeah. two home Sunday team. And what, yes, right. one is going to have to travel, but, and then th- that's just one example of what I mean when I, I say the schedule makers should try to do their best. 
I also think, and I understand they're trying to make the product better. So you want to have the best teams and you have the multiple games. But I, I also think that you need to allow these teams to have something, I, I think, to gain in, in, in the matter. And I think what you do is you take your, your best shot of having these teams probably from the year before, right? There's always going to be some teams that come out of the woodwork. You take your best shot and say, all right, like, let's go to last year, John. Mm-hmm. And, and I know there have been different talks about where this game's going to be played. We'll see. But the Lions are kind of coming on and the Chiefs are, are going to be there. They're, they've they've established that consistency. You know, maybe you have the Chiefs and Lions be Thursday night football rather than, you know, the Chiefs and, and uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to create a hypothetical here, but let's say the Jets, if they still had Zach Wilson, maybe right. you throw that mm-hmm. game on yeah. Thursday night. And you take your best shot. And, and, and I think by allowing teams to play multiple times, though still not ideal, you, you take your best shot. I wonder, as we see now, a Black Friday game will be on this schedule. Um, I wonder if you start to see more of these off day. Like, at what point do Tuesday and Wednesday come into play, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, right. I just no. think yeah. we are on a... Uh, a change here where I, COVID was a really interesting thing. You mm-hmm. know, I can say we're through it for the most part, but in business, and this isn't just the NFL, this is just in life in business. It taught a, a owners a, a lot. Like I think you've seen businesses now get rid of buildings. Buildings mm-hmm. aren't as right. You mm-hmm. can save a lot of money there. So I think what the NFL realized through that whole weird COVID year was shoot. You know what? A lot of people tuned in for this weird right. t- Tuesday evening football. A mm-hmm. lot of people were were clamoring for a, a game after Thanksgiving. I'm telling you right now, I will be locked into whatever game is after Thanksgiving. Right? Like we'll be locked in on Friday. What are you? What are you going to be? You're, right. It's like a, mm-hmm. a big family. So you get why that why they they do it. But I I just the Thursday night football in its creation can has been opened and now what the nfl learned is not only is there money big money when you have a big matchup on thursday night but there's other nights too and so i i just think at a certain point you get you got to think of the fans and players i I think you made a great point like i don't know how you could reasonably flex it in the middle of the year when it involves this is your customer as you said john road road and people like to take road trips but like taking a day off on Mm -hmm. monday yeah Mm-hmm. or Friday or, or doing that. Like say you have Friday and Monday off from your day job. You have your flight booked for let's say Friday, right? During the day to get mm-hmm. in the city and explore it. And then suddenly the game's on Thursday night. So your whole plan that, that you've planned in advance to save money and make this affordable because you know, you save money it's expensive. by yeah. Mm-hmm. It's now suddenly astronomically expensive to change on the fly 15 days or 28 days later. I think that's where they ultimately land. I, I think they keep the multiple games. They try to take their best shot at it. And I don't know if flexible Thursday nights will ever be a thing. Cause I, I tend to think when the owners want something, they'll keep knocking at the door until it happens. But I, I could see based upon the player pushback, you hope maybe some of the closed door coach pushback, they, they curb this flex, but, Again, we'll see how the vote goes in May, and we'll see if Clark Hunt actually changes his vote. Yeah, well, I, and I think one of the things that we need to remember here is that um, 
those meetings in May are not covered the same way that by the media, the same way that the March meetings are. And that's because the coaches and GMs are not there. It's just the owners. So there's not as many media events. There aren't as many reporters there. It's more of a closed door kind of thing. And they may have, you know, the the conspiracy theory interpretation of what's going on here is that the owners tabled it until May so they can vote on it and nobody knows who voted for it and who voted against it because there won't be as much reporting about it. Now, I, I don't think that'll be the case. Somebody will get the information, you know, somebody like Peter King will find out and it'll be out there, but it won't get as much press as it would have if it had happened in March. So uh, that's something I think we need to remember going into this thing. And I think it's also important to note that there were two teams that abstained from the vote um, in, in March. And all you got to do is get those teams to vote one way or the other. And they may have abstained because they didn't want to go on the record about it right now. And they wanted more time to think about it. So it may not be very hard for the league to get those 24 votes and make this thing happen uh, in May. The initial pushback from Roger Goodell when it came to the players and player safety is, well, you guys get three days off. I mean, which yeah. is true. But oh, it, boy. That yeah. is not equal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, Rod. that was pretty I mean, tone deaf. Yeah. Is... <laughs> Roger's yeah. bosses are the 32 owners. So you get why he's trying to create a case on the other side. It, look, we all have jobs. We all have bosses. But shoot, I just don't know if that was the right angle, Roger. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We're kind of in the calm before the storm of the NFL draft. We're going to be talking about the Bulls and Bears on the Chiefs' current roster relative to free agency. So whose player's stock is up, whose player's stock is down after free agency. So we're going to start with our Bull, and my Bull is going to be Sky Moore. Um, I've been kind of outspoken, a little bit pessimistic about the Chiefs' wide receiver group, but I've decided to maybe try to be a little bit more optimistic and maybe what the Chiefs are telling us is that they're very confident in Sky Moore's ability. Uh, the Chiefs have made it hard on us as far as what we can get from Sky Moore. They just really didn't tell us that much about him this year because he didn't have a ton of opportunity. Um, but I see him in the next year coming into a very defined role in the offense, similar skill set to Juju Smith-Schuster. And I, I think the patience that they're showing is maybe a compliment to him and what they think he's capable of. So I think it's very possible that we're sitting around here next year saying like, hey, like you've got Sky Moore as a key piece to this offense now. No, and I think that's a, that's a great you know analysis uh, just because when you're looking at Sky – they didn't really, you know, anticipate him, you know, playing a lot of reps this past season, but he did get on the field in some instances and stepped up big, you know, late down the line. And obviously they've got all these needs at wide receiver headed into the draft. They didn't even address it, but, you know, that should probably give them something, you know, some sort of an indication moving forward that they do have some confidence in Sky. 
Yeah, and I'm also interested, he really got pigeonholed into kind of the jet sweep role throughout the season, which to me, he's not really the best threat there. He does have some good run after the catch ability, but as far as breakaway speed, that's not his strength. But between the injury to Hardman and the constant injuries to Kadarius Tony, I'm not entirely sure what that means. And I still think that that's a guy that they are looking for in this offense, the jet sweep guy, because I think if you're talking about Kadarius Tony as a wide receiver one, you're trying to keep miles off of him as a punt returner and those type of like orbit motions and sweeps. So like a, um, a Marvin Mims from Oklahoma, someone that kind of makes some sense there as far as like your sweep guy. Um, I'll be interested to see if they try to add someone like that in the draft. Yeah, and maybe even keep an eye if they wanted to try to convert someone like uh, Jalen Hyatt also in that regard, just a guy with a lot of speed who they think could fill a role, even though I think that kind of, you know, having guys without experience returning punts kind of they might have figured out that's probably not the best course to take. Jaden Reed, there's another name. It's got some punt return experience. Okay, back to the current Chiefs. Caleb, who is your bowl for the 2023 Chiefs? So my bowl is going to be Brian Cook, and the reason I chose him is Juan Thornhill goes and signs with the Browns. Um, There was really no reported interest between the Chiefs and him having a reunion. The Chiefs make one other acquisition at safety. They go get, you know, a a reserve guy. They get, you know, a, a role guy, Mike Edwards. And he's, you know, he was fine in Tampa Bay as a backup. You know, he's fine as like a role guy here and there. But really, Brian Cook has the athletic ability, and he really started to put together a nice end-of-the-season run for the Chiefs as one of their starting safeties alongside of Justin Reed. And even in that AFC Championship game, I want you guys to think back. He did get called for a pass interference that was about one second, you know, if he gets to the ball one second before he's made one crazy tip pass that gets intercepted by Thornhill, and then you think back to late in the game, he ends up tipping the pass up in the air that Josh Williams goes and gets and is a big interception late in the game on Joe Burrow. He is going to be a guy I think they rely on. They took him in the second round along with Sky Moore last year. They were picked with a what five picks apart from one another. I mean – I think when you're taking a safety that high, you're kind of, you know, that's the same, you know, that's kind of the same slot they got Thornhill and you kind of anticipate them on the field sooner or later. This isn't like a great safety class this year and they really made no effort. And there were like options available at safety and free agency. There were quite a few guys on the block there. So I think they're confident in his skill set. I think he's a guy that you could see him fill in and have a productive sophomore season. The athleticism pops. Um, I remember Nate shared a a tweet of him in the AFC championship game, and he came from almost the far hash to make a play on the ball. That was like a tunnel screen or something like that. So the hustle that he plays with and the athleticism, it really pops. Um, I think sometimes it gets him in a little trouble too, as far as like making reads on plays. Sometimes, you know, if you can run really fast and you're really athletic, that just means you're further away from making the play if you're athletic and you're wrong. Um, but one thing that I think is interesting is like Juan Thornhill is kind of a dying breed in the NFL right now with all the too high that they're playing. Like there's not a lot of just like true, pure free safety center fielders anymore. And that's something that's interesting. I wrote it. I've been kind of covering the safety position from free agency through the draft and looking at where, uh, Justin Reed lines up and where Brian Cook lines up, they both can probably play in the box, play deep, and even probably, you know, cover tight ends, running backs, and they might even be able to work in the slot a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, he is a guy. I don't know if he'd really be the slot guy. I think they're still going to enjoy having Sneed there, and I honestly think that may be where Edwards steps in. It could be a little slot action, but you've got three safeties now, again, on the roster like Spags likes, and they can all do similar things. 
And really, if you're talking about them going to like a center field type free free safety, I think Edwards did do a lot more of that than Cook did. So I think if you're talking about the too high shell, I think that could be what Brian Cook's role all day, especially with that range and athletic ability we mentioned where he can get, you know, from the sideline to the center of the field or to the side or yeah, to the center of the field very quickly. Uh, yeah, I think the best thing that the Chiefs have done in free agency is they've crossed three position groups off their draft, draft list entirely. If the value is there, they go for it. But safety, interior offensive line, and linebacker, you can play. You can line up and play a full season tomorrow with the players you have. With uh, They brought back Deion, Bo- Deion Bush as well. Still got Nazi Johnson in there. That feels like special teams predominantly. But you've got enough guys there that you can definitely line up and play. Awesome. Let's move on to our Bears. These are players that we don't think stink. We don't think they suck, but the role is probably a little bit in jeopardy. And maybe the Chiefs have told us a little bit of what they think about these players. Uh, I'm going to take the easy one here, and it's going to be Willie Gay. The signing of Drew Tranquil is one that probably caught us all by surprise. Uh, He makes an instant addition in the pass coverage. And um, honestly, Drew Tranquil does things better than Willie Gay does in coverage. And then Nick Bolton does things better in the run game and um, in the box than Willie Gay does. Um, You know, I'm not sure if he's kind of had some issues staying on the field, both on and off the field, like health wise and um, character issues. I know we're kind of the the whole deal that happened with the vacuum cleaner is a little weird, but I don't know. It just feels like it wouldn't be surprised me if Willie Gay doesn't end up playing this season for the chiefs. Like maybe he has a training camp trade. Those happen sometimes where it's kind of like, Oh, well, he's not going to be on our roster, be on your roster. I'd be really surprised if he's traded during the draft. Um, it just doesn't really feel like something that teams would do trading for a linebacker on kind of the last year of the deal. But yeah, I I'm very excited about drew tranquil though. I feel like this is probably the best coverage linebacker the chiefs have had since maybe Derek Johnson. Yeah. And I think the thing with tranquil is there's not going to be a ton of a learning curve because he is a high football IQ guy. He's done. He played a lot of different roles in the chargers defense and the chargers, you know, they play kind of like in more, they play like kind of more of, of a defense that looks like it could be an odd front at times of what the Chiefs play. And I think Tranquil would almost be a better fit, but you're talking about Willie Gay in there. What what I think it does by bringing in a guy like Tranquil, though, it's there's not really much margin for error where, you know, like last year, if Willie Gay was playing bad, they didn't really have anyone there to take him, sub him out, except for Darius Harris. And you go, well, did we get that much better or do we get a whole lot worse? There really wasn't anybody, if Nick Bolton was having a bad game in coverage, there wasn't really a sub to go in where you can make that in-game adjustment real quick like that. So I, I think that it's not just Willie Gay. I think it's a lot, or Leo Chanel. You know, he struggled early on. There's a lot of question marks about him still. You know, all three of those guys who did play quite a few significant stamps and played in the Super Bowl, I think they're all kind of going to be on notice a little bit because you got a guy that is a really good fit for what the Chiefs do. I think he's a better fit for what the Chiefs do with their linebackers kind of each having that own little individual specific role than he was for the Chargers where, you know, they had him doing just trying to do a little bit too much. And I think he's a guy, if you kind of give him one job a week, we say, well, this is what Tranquil is going to do this week. Um, if, if Nick Bolton's not playing great, we'll put him in for Bolton. If Willie Gay's playing bad, we're going to put him in for Willie and let him go cover tight ends and running backs all day. So I, I'm not really like down on Willie too much like that, but I do think just having Tranquil around is going to up the competition. 
Yeah, I think I think he's the tide that rises all boats in this instance. Um, he helps Nick Bolton with some of the things that Nick Bolton struggles with. He helps Willie Gay with some of the things he struggles with. And it, especially if we can get away from the obligatory two series where the Chiefs get scored on when Darius Harris is on the field. Um, that was a Steve Spagnuolo special. Uh, it made me want to pull my hair out every time. So uh, I, I'm really excited about this addition. And again, it, it just feels like the linebacker room is complete and there's not really a need to draft it until the like day three. And we're talking probably special teamers at that point yeah i mean i don't think they're going to really make too much of an investment at linebacker i think that the guys are going to be you know maybe they would target her out of that range but it's just another good job by brett veach you don't have to add anybody you can keep focusing all those picks on where you need them awesome all right and who is your bear for the chiefs right now all right, so I got my bear down is Derek Noddy. And the reason why I put down Noddy, I, he's back again on another one-year deal. But it just kind of feels like he's played a position where it's, you know, you're playing one of those physical positions in football, and he's kind of getting to that point in his career where a lot of guys' bodies just can't hold up, and you can kind of start to see that decline a little bit. And I think this past season in particular, we have really saw kind of just – the result of that physical toll, you know, he wasn't really a hundred percent. He struggled at times at things he's typically done well at like run stuffing. And there were times even this past year when he got sat down for long periods of time where they played Colin Saunders some, you know, and he did, you know, he did come back and end up having a pretty good postseason run again for the chiefs. But taking a look at this defensive tackle class, it's full of depth and talent across the rounds. It's not just like you got a bunch of guys from pick 30 to pick 40, where it's going to be like a big run. It is loaded. You know, you've got guys that are, are going to come in and play 40% of their, you know, play 40% of their team snaps as rookies, you know, especially at that nose tackle position. Naughty's like a big one tech, you know, he plays that nose. So, I'm not as high on him. The Chiefs haven't really added a lot of defensive tackles. I think they're getting ready to go heavy in the draft, and if they get a guy that can outplay Naughty, if they get a guy that's more productive than him in the draft, I don't think they would have any issues you know, putting Naughty on the bench and letting the young guy go out and play. Agreed. I To me, his play has kind of regressed since 2020, gradually, and I feel like when it comes to defensive interior linemen, you have the, the top quartile upper echelon your chris jones your fletcher cox those type of players that can make an impact in the pass rush and in the run then there's a whole lot of players that can plug gaps and be a run savvy guy and then there's you know some of them with pass rush upside right now naughty's not particularly feeling any one of those roles particularly great um i think he gets taken advantage of in the run game at times well too and yeah i think you know day two is a great place to target some of those players we know the name mazzy smith keanu benton um siaki aika and even some into like moro jomo i don't keandre Col- colburn his size is uh his length um i was listening to a podcast i was talking about his um on on mock draftable he has some of the shortest arms of any defensive tackle that's been drafted um right up there with um everyone's favorite um oh pit what's his name pittsburgh defense cancy yeah cancy also has those length issues so i'm not sure about keandre colburn but yeah i, I definitely think that naughty's looking at a part-time rotational role which is fine that raises the floor of the position but as a starter i'm not sure how i feel about him yeah and you mentioned some awesome names in that group of defensive tackles and there's even more you know the chiefs had a guy from western kentucky broderick martin in on a visit he's a big boy now you talk about a guy who like a joe cullen type 
who, you know, Joe Colin has historically coached those guys that are going to be like bigger space eaters that play between like the two and the two eye and the one technique and the nose. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of guys to keep an eye on and, you know, who are going to be able to make a, make an impact somewhere down the line. Just to get your perspective from the, from like, if you're, you know, as an Eagles fan, let's just ignore the fact that you have the 10th overall pick. How would you feel or how do you feel about kind of this 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 draft class from 30 to 60? You know, we I think you you know, everyone talks about the top of the class so much, but and, you know, and, and not maybe in a good way. Right. I think there's a lot of people that say maybe it's not the greatest class. How do you feel about the class from, again, 30 to 60, that kind of range, kind of the hot zone for for these contending teams like the Chiefs, Eagles and others? Yeah, I think it's I think it's solid. I think it's good. It's a really weird class this year. Overall, consensus is tough to find starting at like one. The further away right. you get from one, the more messy it always becomes. So it's tough to say that, like, okay, you know, there's a clear drop off between like 20 and 30 where like it's a tier below. I'm not sure that's the case uh, because I think just teams' boards are going to look so different. In general, though, that's a good draft to have later picks and have trade back picks. And I'll be really interested to see if the Eagles and the Chiefs stay and make the selections at 30 and 31 that they make or if they trade back. Those will be the last two picks that have fifth year options attached to them. And so if you're a team drafting the early second round and you want to, a wide receiver with a fifth year on him, a pass rusher with a fifth year on him, right? And that ability to have another cost-controlled year, which will be cheaper than market if he hits. For teams like the Eagles and the Chiefs, who just don't, like, need a lot, just really good rosters, don't have to be making, you know, early picks and getting starters out of this draft, it's a good trade-back spot for both teams uh, and see so you can entice to come up. And you, you see a lot of trades happen kind of in those last few picks. And in this draft, like, going from 30 to 40, I don't think it's a huge drop off in talent. I don't think this is a really, really great class. I don't think it's got a lot of top tier talent. So once you're outside of like those first 10, 15 picks, I think you're largely dealing with like, you know, specific scheme fits and developmental guys and right. dudes who could reel it. Like there's a lot of guys who could go 25 and they could go 60. And I wouldn't be surprised either direction. It's just a messy class. Uh, so to me, great trade back spot for both teams. And it's not like it's bad value. It's just, it's a weird year for everybody. And so you got to figure out how to play the game. Yeah, no. And, and that's the thing is, is, is it's kind of like that every year, right? To an extent, you know, you can, you can kind of say that there's this, this hot zone um, between 30 and 60, but um, you guys are sitting at number 10 and, and we don't get that perspective, obviously as, as Chiefs fans, you know, we're, we're not even thinking about the top of the class. Just, just, I just, I guess just to ask you, like, are you excited about that kind of that number 10 pick in terms of, you know, who could be there? Or is it one of those where you're like, eh, maybe I'd rather, you know, trade down, accumulate more picks later in the draft. You know, if you, you know, just if you were in Howard Roseman's shoes, I mean, how do you like that number 10 pick in terms of attacking it with like a trying to get one of those blue chip guys or maybe uh, trying to get more draft capital? If I'm ever not excited about a top 10 pick, get me out of this field, man. (laughs) Top 10 pick? What are we talking about? I mean, like, this is, yeah, exactly. This is good. This is good business. Um, You could see, I think, uh, top flight corners being that that spot, potential start as a corner. Yeah. You can see a potential starter at edge being at that spot. You can see a potential replacement for Lane Johnson, a tackle at that spot. It's top 10 pick. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'd say there's a good chance to trade back out of it. You know, it's, it's Howie Roseman. Mm-hmm. He's going to be a guy who's, who's willing to just accumulate capital. And if they're not picking it 16 instead of 10, I'm still going to be excited. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they got two first round picks a year after they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Again, if I'm not excited about that, you got to you got to re- take my batteries out and plug them back in cuz I'm not working right. <laughs> yeah. No, I I would think that's fair. And and real quick before I move on, is 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 if let's say Bijan's there, are we are we one of those, hey, let's just grab a running back cuz we're so good already or are we are we are we uh, you know, being more logical about it? I don't know. What do you what are you thinking? I mean, I'd be stunned if they take Bijan. 
it's just not it's not in Roseman's blood. It's not what he it's yeah. not and it's not how he built the team and and for him like he built the team, right? He's been the GM with like a little bit of an interim period there since 2010. Like and and they've made two Super Bowls since he's taking the team back over from Chip Kelly. Like this he's very positive the way he does it works. And right. Well, the way he does it is not prioritizing the running back position. I'd be flabbergasted if they took Bijan that early. Yeah, it it, it just kind of seems like the the and, and I think you're right. I think I think anyone that looks at the draft history of the Eagles knows that that's not going to be the case. But it does seem to be the one where everyone just sees, oh, Eagles just won a Super Bowl. They have a really good roster. Oh, they could just add running back and not worry about any of their other needs. Like it is it is just good to kind of have the the uh, you know the logic to to say, okay, you know, just because a team's really really good doesn't mean they need to ignore everything else and and, and grab a running back, even though Bijan is going to be very good in the league. Um, I think you would probably agree with that. But when we're talking about, you know, I uh, we're talking about that 30 to 60 range again, kind of that late day one, round two. Are there any positions that kind of stand out to you as like kind of the best ones to be in that range? You know, because you've mentioned cornerback, right? How that is a pretty top heavy position in this class. You know, there's a lot of, of good guys in that round one range um, that, that could definitely push other positions down the board. Um, but then you hear like, you know, uh, you hear about like the, the tight end class, like, you know, there's a lot of good ones, but are they going to go in the, the first round? Is there any specific mm-hmm. position that when you're, you're kind of sitting where the chiefs are and the Eagles are again, kind of late in the first round that you really are like, okay, it, it, this is like the sweet spot for all the guys uh, to be kind of the best of the group to the best of the class. I should say kind of, that's where they are. Yeah. I like edge there, which I think is good for the Eagles and yeah. good for the chiefs. Uh, I think that, that you're looking at Will McDonald out of Iowa state range, Keon white out of Georgia tech. Um, Lucas Van Ness might still be there. I can't really get a beat on where he's actually going to go. He's an interesting one. Uh, Felix and yeah. UDK Uzama, who's uh, the, the edge out of Kansas State. That's about his range, given the way people are talking about him. A lot of guys. Uh, so I think that that third range is a good spot for edges. Uh, and, and that makes sense for both the Eagles, and, but certainly the Chiefs. Uh, good spot for tight ends. Uh, talk about yeah. them a little bit later, I think. But that, good spot for tight ends. As a good corner class through and through. Every spot's a good spot for corner. So I don't mind it at 30. Uh, you know, Keely Ring out of Georgia. Cam Smith out of South Carolina. Are guys, I think, are going to go late day one, early day two. Um, it's right about when the interior offensive line class thinks gets gonna get moving. Osiris Torrance yeah. out of Florida, John Michael Schmitz out of, out of Minnesota, who's a center, Torrance is a guard, and then Joe Titman out of Wisconsin, who's just played center but big enough to be a guard. I don't really know where he's gonna end up. Uh, but I think that uh, that's about where the interior offensive line class gets kicking too. So, those are the positions that, that I like around that range. Yeah, I'm totally with you on edge rusher. It definitely feels like that's that's kind of what it is. You know, there's there's Nolan Smith at the top, I think, you know, and, and then obviously there's there's you know, I, I'm not a huge Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy guy, but you know, those are guys that are gonna be towards the top. Um, I do know though, I do know a guy that everyone's excited about. You mentioned him, Felix Enudike Uzama. Around here, you know, we we we're excited about him because he's sure. a local kid. He went to he went to a Kansas City high school, went to Kansas State, obviously locally. I know you're you're maybe, you know, a little uh I, I don't want to label this, uh, you know, on you. So I apologize, but lower on him maybe than consensus. It seems like, um, from what I've heard, heard of you, but I hate, I hate to put that on you. If, I, if I'm, if, if that's not the case, I just, I don't know, maybe dig deeper or, uh, uh dig a little further into what you think about Felix and UDK is on. I know, you know, we all kind of, yeah. you know, maybe as Chiefs fans, we kind of, you know, know what player is, but maybe we kind of push him up the pedestal a little bit because he's that local kid, because it'd be a cool story. And he's just been a guy that was ever on everyone's radar last summer too. I think, is another thing, but I don't know what, what do you see in Felix Sunderdeke Uzama and, and maybe just compare him to, to other guys in the class? Yeah. So I just think profile wise, and Uzama is the sort of guy who 
usually doesn't go as early as we're talking about him. Like I said, it's not a great class, mm. and he's got pass rush potential. He's got a hot motor. He's got uh, moments of explosiveness, moments of power. He was not served well by the the defense that they're playing, where he's a 255-pound yeah. guy playing inside the tackle, right, playing that four-eye spot, right, about where, like, usually you see a defensive tackle play there in the NFL. Uh, and so that muddies his film quite a bit. You're doing a lot of projecting. Right. When you're saying, oh, when we put him on the outside, it's going to look like X, Y, and Z. Because you have a much a, a much more limited amount of reps to see that on film as opposed to like a key on white uh, out of Georgia Tech or Lucas Van Ness. Some of these guys, you got to spend more time on the outside. Uh, so that makes it harder for me to figure him out. And usually when a guy's like tough to figure out and he's like a fine athlete, obviously we didn't get a lot of testing from him DK, but uh, uh, when a guy's like a fine athlete and the film's kind of tricky to figure out, usually you're swinging on that like, 30 picks later than we're talking about right now right that's where you start talking start having the conversation but it's not a great class and because it's not a great class uh guys with potential at premium positions are going to get knocked up right. the board right it's happening in the top right where you see like you know uh, lucas van ness get talked about like a top 10 top 15 pick it's happening in, in the right. second tier in the middle class it's going to happen in the later tiers as well the guys are just going to sw- teams are going to swing on guys because there's not much else to do in this group uh and so i think that like the the nature of the class kind of bumps him up earlier than than i think he usually gets picked at and that makes me lower on him like relative to consensus but there's still like likable stuff there so it's usually you're not paying like hypothetically 31 overall to go get that guy yeah no that makes sense and, and that's the thing is i i do agree he's a he's a potential prospect you know a guy with a lot of potential it feels like a body type that you can kind of see can kind of you know put more muscle mass on kind of just you know be a you know, be a kind of a stronger body and, and more of a, you know, just kind of build onto the frame he has already. So I agree with you there. But so just in general, though, you you do kind of categorize this edge rushing class as a as a as a weaker one, because, you know, I think in my head and maybe it's just because we're so focused on this 30 to 60 range, you know, I and I really like these guys in this range. Um, I don't think of it as, as, as a bad class or a, or a weaker class. So would you consider it, you know, overall like a, a, a weak class at edge rusher, just you know, top to bottom? Or is it just maybe just the depth of it that's that you're not as super excited about? Yeah. So I think it's weak at the top, right? I get right. I take uh, I'll take Will Anderson early. I like that young man. I'll take right, Nolan yeah. Smith well, fairly, exactly. fairly early. He's sub 240, but you got a red I flag. Know. I'll take Tyree Wilson decently early, but he's got multiple foot injuries. So you got a red flag. After that, it's a lot of guys who if I close one eye and i squint i can see it right yeah. uh this is not the sort of class where, where, where i think we're gonna get multiple dudes drafted in the first round who are like perennial 10 sack players i wouldn't be surprised if we end up with multiple dudes who are 10 sack players and one of them went like 78 because we're right. just like kind of all swinging in the dark on, on a lot of these guys um so there's a ton of names right like i love tuli tui Pelotu out of usc i like Derek hall out of auburn those are my guys and then you talk to somebody else and they're like i like will mcdonald out of iowa state and adi tommy out of Boare out of northwestern yeah. you talk to somebody else and we just got dudes on dudes on dudes at the position and such a variety of athletes because there's so many different defenses now in college football so like you know it's how you get sub 240 pounders like nolan smith playing on the edge so we just have like a glut of options i don't want to mistake right. a thick class for a class that's really got like a lot of top tier talent and to me that's the case with edge a lot of names but I, there's not uh, guys where I'm like, oh, yeah, plug and chug. And he's going to be a starter and, and next season. And he's going to be an eight sack guy. There's a, a lot of guys like you're, you're going to throw some darts and a couple of people are going to connect and everybody else is going to miss. That's really funny that you that you mentioned that, because I, I was just kind of talking with our guys in the group chat. I, I like a lot of these edge rushers, but none of them are standing out to me as like, OK, I want to pound the table for this guy. And I think that's kind of what you're 
what you're getting at there is just there's a lot of guys we all you know you mentioned Derek Hall and Tui Tua Pelotu two guys that I have also picked as, as prospect of the week so I'm, I'm glad to glad to hear that I'm glad to hear that there um, but yeah and, and you kind of touch on there is we're all swinging in the dark here right real quick I just want your your kind of take just because you do cover the NFL draft uh, from a national perspective do you really think there are good and bad drafters in terms of like a general manager is better at drafting than this general manager or an organization is better at drafting than other organizations is that actually the case do you think or is it really closer to just you know it's a crapshoot and you know the best the teams with the best coaching and development maybe you know have the best luck because hey you know you have a great coach and all that kind of what's your take there yeah uh it's a developmental thing right i think that the eagles are really good at drafting offensive linemen because the eagles have a really good offensive line coach I think that the Steelers were really good at drafting wide receivers for a long time because they had one quarterback and they had a really solid offensive line and they could bring those guys along, right? When you have stability around that position, it just fosters development. So your first round picks are better, your fourth round picks are better, and your, your UDFAs are better, and it, it, it's upstream, downstream. It's, it's the whole organization. Uh, so to me, it's, it's a developmental thing. And then some, some teams, it's not just like position they're just good at developing guys like the Seattle Seahawks are just good at bringing guys along. Like they, they're really good. Pete Carroll is at getting rookies at a point where they can start. He's got a great culture of competitiveness and of guys that earn jobs. And so when they get rookies in there and they can see that, that the light bulb's on, they put them in a position to succeed. So to me, it's a development thing. It's a culture thing. I'm certain that some GMs, some scouts are better at identifying talent than others. I, I no doubt about that, but that's a lot harder to, figure out from the outside looking in right. it's not hard to like you know get your thumb on that pulse as opposed to the development aspect of things so that to me is where like the most tenable information is that makes sense yeah I, I'm, I'm pretty much with you i think a lot of it is the developing the, the coaching who's 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 in there getting the guys to become the players they are so i'm with you on that well let's turn the page a little bit because I, honestly the main thing i wanted to talk to you about was because, you know, I, I loved your guys' episodes of the 50 Shades of Grey um, on, on the NFL Draft uh, draft podcast mm-hmm. on The Ringer. Um, and, and, you know, you guys talk about, obviously, skill positions for the most part. I think I don't think you guys have touched on tight ends, I, but I think it's receiver and running nope. back you guys have hit on so far. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just it, – it's I wanted to get your take on the skill position class from a Chiefs perspective because I think – you know, and we'll start with receiver because I think that's the one position here in Kansas City we've all kind of been waiting for them to make a move. Obviously, the Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, news, uh, the rumors there, DeAndre Hopkins, Hopkins rumors. We we are all in on that as Chiefs fans. We are we are listening mm-hmm. to all of those, but we're getting pretty close to the draft now, and, and nothing's happening. And so, you know, first of all, I guess I'll just ask you. You know, you know, since you follow the NFL, you know the Chiefs receiver room. Do you? I mean, are we crazy when and we think? We, we know we need another guy, right? There needs to be someone else in that room to top it off, right? They can't go into the season with just this group and then, you know, just some random top 100 pick, right? I don't know. How do you feel about how the Chiefs have built the receiver room? So I think when you have Mahomes, you can do whatever you want forever. And I can't, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, Fair. I can't argue it, right? I would have told you last year, they can't trade Tyreek Hill. He's Tyreek Hill. And then they went and they traded Tyreek Hill and then won the Super Bowl afterwards. So I am hesitant around the word can't. However, yeah, they got to ask somebody. Um, and, and and I think they're going to do it in the same way that they did it kind of with the Kadarius Tony trade. I remember when they traded for Tony and they traded like a third round pick for him. And I was like, I do not get this. Like, he's the same skill set, like the same, same role, I should say, that like they envision Sky Moore filling. He's uh, super injured. Right. Like, I do not get this. And 
people like made the case for me and I, and I ended up coming around on it at the time of the trade where they were just like, it's the chiefs. Like they're just going to get an athlete in there and then like poke around and see how it works. If it doesn't work, they're just going to move on to the next guy. They're like, they, they, they're talking about di- runways for development. It's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Like if a guy has a skill set, they can make them work. So they're just going to cycle dudes in. And I think that's what you're going to see from the chiefs. Like I'd be surprised if they take wide receiver early. It's not outside the realm. I love a guy, but I'd be surprised. I think they're much more likely to take a guy around the area where they took sky more. And then, you know, take a guy in the sixth round who's got good high weight speed and then bring him into camp. And if Sky looks better or the rookie looks better, Kadarius looks healthy or whatever, what have you, Justin Watson looks awesome, then all right, we go forward. And if nobody, none of those dart throws hit, then we start going to to, uh, 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 trademark it and we start talking to Odell with a little bit more money. We start doing this. You 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 can plug and chug a wide receiver into Kansas City like you can't anywhere else, right? And so... To me, like it, it, they, they have like that, that long runway that allows them to do, to do what they want at the position.